Amen. Let's um, let's bow our heads one more time and just ask for God to speak to us all and to put all this together. Father God, you are an amazing God. You are an awesome God. You were amazing in the past. You will be amazing in the future and you are amazing now. And we thank you for your mercies that are new every day. We thank you that you don't give up on us, Lord, even though so many times we give up on you. And Father, we just commit this time into your hands and we just pray that you may speak to us, that you may strengthen us, that you may refresh us, that you may challenge us. Whatever you have in store for each one of us, Father, we pray that just in your spirit may move amongst us here, Lord, and touch us. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so before we go into the message, I'd like to um, ask a trivia question, which I've asked last time. Um, and if I can have the next slide, Kimberly, please. Um, how many Israelites that were born in Egypt entered the Promised Land? Okay, we have a two here. How many agree with two? Come on. How many agree with none? How many say there's more than two? How many don't know? How many would like to know? Okay, the next slide. I, I'm sharing this because this is new to me. I thought there was only two. But listen to what he says. The Israelites had moved about the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age, when they left Egypt, had died. Were of military age. So the younger ones than that... They were born in Egypt, according to that scripture. They were born in Egypt and they entered the promised land, but they weren't old enough. So God said to the ones that understood that were disobedient to those, he said that. But then he says, and that's why they were all circumcised. So this is all about the circumcision just before. We'll be looking at chapter 5 and 6 a little bit, but I thought that that was very interesting. Um, and it's an eye-opener, true? I said to Rosanna, there's so many times that you read a scripture and another thing that I'll share with you in just a little while that is just opens your eyes and just it, maybe that's why we need to look into the word and read it and study it because there's new things that we find all the time. Um, so, but go back to the first slide, Kimberly, sorry. And the topic for this morning is the walls will come down. Remember, I've been talking about Joshua, the book of Joshua. So we first spoke about how Aaron took over the reins and how he became the leader when God said to Moses that he was not going to enter the promised land. Um, and so then Joshua took over and he had an a huge challenges in front of him. Um, then we read, went through the story of the prostitute that got saved, Rahab. And now we're coming to the walls that will come down. Is in chapter 5 and 6. And we only need to know one crucial fact. It was totally impossible to bring those walls down. And I'll mention it again later. But Rosanna and I, some four or five years ago, went to the Great Wall of China. I know the Timex went there recently as well. But those walls, you think that they're pretty big. But... We walk one section, and I think I shared this before, we walk one section for like from here to the station, and I'd say that I'm relatively fit, not really, but relatively, and we were so tired. The air is thin, the steps are not 
I don't know what they were thinking when they built them, but maybe giants built them because the steps are not like that. The steps are like that. They would not meet um, regulations now. What they're supposed to be 150 or something, Ben? Um, so they wouldn't meet, but they're massive steps. And by the time you do that, and to imagine, to just think that that wall is going to come tumbling down. I done a bit of research about this, and they reckon that the foundations of the walls of Jericho were some of the stones that they found, they discovered there, are so massive that they believe that it, there was even suggestions that giants built them. And the Bible, it tells us, you know, I'll read it also in a, in a passage before that there were some pretty big guys that lived there that God said that. So this wall was quite a large wall and quite a challenge for them. And it was totally, absolute and completely impossible. But Jericho stood between them and was all that God had promised them. And a smart man would probably just simply walk away from that. You know, a smart man, when he saw that wall, he'd say, this is impossible and just walk away from it. Because it was a pretty tough challenge. Yet God's, God's people won a great victory that day. And how did they do it? Next slide, please, Kimberly. In Hebrews 11.30 has the answer in two words, and I kind of made them stand out. Can we all say it together? By faith. By faith. That's how it happened. That's how we came down. The walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. For seven days they marched around them, and we'll open that up a little bit more too when we'll look into that. Was it a smart thing or was it a foolish thing to just march around that wall? So I've, I've got five steps to, that took place before this miracle took place and something that we can apply in our lives as well when we're facing up a huge wall like this one and that we need to have a challenge in front of us. And step number one it was that is to hand over your rights to be in charge. Who likes to be in charge? Who, who likes to, for their partner to drive the car when they're in the car? Yeah, a few, quite a few. Okay, now, do you, those that put up your hand, do you tell your partner when he turns and when he doesn't and, and you just leave it all up to him totally? Okay, so I'll tell you what I'm seeing from here. The person that I ask the question is going like this and the person next to him is going like this. <laughs> And I think that's probably about right. And you know what? I find that even with my little boys, like I remember Charlie when we first got him, he, he had a sense of direction in his mind really good. And as soon as you turned off the road that you normally go on, he'd always ask, where are we going? Where are we going? So he had a sense of direction. And he, you know, that is part of the control that we like to have. And we like to have control. So, yeah, some people don't want to have control in a big group because that comes with a responsibility. But you like to have control of your family or you like to have control of your partner or you like to have control of... And it's just part of our human nature that we like to have control of things. And it's hard to let go a lot of times to have control. So we know that in certain things, we, are, we take care of those things. In other areas, someone else takes care of that. But that's the first thing that we need to... To learn is to, is to hand over the control and listen to what happened in, in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up 
So he was walking and he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Are you for us or you're for our enemies? So he just saw a man. He didn't know it was an angel. He says that he saw a man. Who was this man? So he could have asked him other questions. I read a story about President Lincoln. He was asked whether, um, whether God was on the side of the Union in the Civil War. And, the, and he answered and he said, it's, it's, My greatest concern is not whether God is on our side, but whether we are on God's side. And I think that that is a big difference. I think that God is never going to be on your side. There's no God on my side or God is on their side. Or, you know, we, are you a Labour voter? Are you a Liberal voter? And, and what team are you on? Is God on your team or God's not? It's whether you are on God's team. And whether I'm on God's team. And like he said, his greatest concern was whether we are on God's side. Are we as a church on God's side? Am I as an individual on God's side? And you know, most times we like to say that we are just about always right in the decisions, in our choices, what we make, most of the times, right? But there's two different stories. There's, there's people with different opinions. Someone's got to be right. And it doesn't mean that God is only, that, that only one group is on, one, on God's side. Then the next verse we read, he says, this is what he replied. This is what this man replied. Neither he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come as a commander. This is when Joshua realises that this is not a man. See, up to this point, he thought that it was man. He just looked up and he, there is this man. And he asked him and then, he's, and then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? What message does my Lord have for his servant? He knew, you know, this, this man, he didn't need to ask. He asked him already the question, whose side are you on? And now he's just basically handed over the whole thing. And let's not forget that Joshua had to be bold. He was a leader chosen by God. God asked him to lead the people of Israel. He's faced by one of his first challenges. He's faced by a man with a sword. What does he mean to do? To, to just throw himself in front of him? He's a leader of approximately two to two and a half million people that he's leading now. That's a pretty big group of people. And he, now he realises that this is not a man. He realises that this is... A commander of the army of the Lord because that's what he told him. And he throws himself and he says, what message does the Lord have for his servant? What message does he have for his servant? So he doesn't plead with him. He doesn't say, come on our side, come and do this for me. He's basically handed over. And that's why I said, handing over the control. He's handing over the control to this person, to God. And he's saying, what does the Lord have for what message does he have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. 
Do you think that he was just a man of God? Could he have disobeyed Jesus himself? Christ was standing his holy. Take off his sandals, he told him. You know, we, we, all the human questions go out the window. When we have, we, we, we're faced with this massive war and we, we like to reason. But when we come face to face with the God of the universe like this man, he, he didn't ask him about any other thing other than what message do you have for me? Not about our individual problems, about the individual situation that he had. And he had a massive task in front of him. But yet he knew, he knew that this was on a different level. And the main point here in the book of Joshua is that God's work must be done God's way in order to receive God's blessing. God's work must be done God's way. God's work must be done God's way in our lives as well. You know, we like to have plans. and we, we There's nothing wrong in planning. We like to have plans about our next church. We plan about how we're going to design it and how many people, how we're going to invite people and all that. That is good. And we need to plan. But God's work must be done God's way in order to receive God's blessings. We need to seek Him. And every Christian in here, every one of you would agree with that statement. But when it comes to um, crisis, we want to tell God how to answer our prayers, when to answer our prayers. And we cry out to Him to be merciful to us. God's work must be done God's way. At some point we must yield to the Lord. How many of you know the songs have done own way? You've heard it before? Many times it's probably more of our generation. Yeah, Vida and Marie and Helen. So the words go like, Have thine own way, Lord. You know it? Yes? Now, so go with me and see if you know the next, next line. And then he goes, Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mould me and make me. Hold me and make me after your will. Who knows the next line? <laughs> You're right. It's something, something, something. <laughs> While I am waiting, yielded and still. Yielded and still. While I am waiting, have your own way, God. Have your own way. While I am waiting, yielded, ready to accept your way, and still, I'm not going to move until you tell me. Now, that's a hard part, and I've missed that. I'm not holding you guys to that, because I missed it as well. Yielded is just, yielded is giving it to God and saying, God, whatever you have for me, whatever you have, I'm standing still, and I will move whenever you tell me to move. And could, have, could that have been what Joshua was saying too? Joshua said, I'm yielded and still. And then he acted because he said to this, to this commander, he said, what the message does he have from God? What is the message that he has? In Proverbs 21, 31 says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle. 
the horse is prepared for the day of battle so you can have your armor ready for battle but the victory belongs to the Lord the victory belongs to God and that's what's going to take place here as well with this great wall of Jericho we can make plans but God doesn't bless our efforts he comes unless he's in the center of it unless we have him in the center of it step number two is the challenge face the challenge what was Jericho to Joshua and to the people it was a city of pagan unbelief a city very strategically important it was a city of human impossibility and I've touched a little bit on this in the past so kind of the services that I've shared kind of you will get some information come back and forth and come to your mind and one of them was that it was a very evil place where they would sacrifice their children and it was gross sexual immorality and it could never coexist with the true worship of God. It could never coexist to be close to the promised land, to where God's people were. It just couldn't. And God was going to destroy it. And two, I, 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 I like, and I've put it up, and there's quite a bit of reading in the next one, and I'll read it all um, in the next verse. I'll read that in Deuteronomy 1. Chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. And this is where Moses is encouraging the people. And he's talking to the people. So it sounds like he got the whole group of them together. And he's addressing them before, he, before he, his life is over. And he says, Here, Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you with large cities that have walls up to the sky. This is Moses. Walls up to the skies. Pretty big walls. The people are strong and tall. Anakites. You know about them and have heard it said. Who can stand against the Anakites? For some reason I'm on it's disappeared. But, but be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you. Like a devouring fire. So Moses already knew what was going to take place. Your God goes ahead of you. He didn't know what, that, what the messenger of God was going to tell Joshua. But he's saying he's going to go ahead of you. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. And he will drive them out and annihilate. Oh, man, man, help me. Annihilate. Annihilate. And I lay them quickly, as the Lord had promised you. I asked Melanie how to pronounce that, and I know it, but it just wouldn't come out of the tongue. And your lie, and your lie. <laughs> After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, this is an important part, I want you to listen to this. You know that the Israelites could have thought pretty good about themselves, and it happens to us too. Don't you think that you are specially, that God must be see something special in you that is blessing you, that He's chosen you. So I think the way that God works is that He gets us and He makes us feel pretty good about ourselves. And we go on this high and then He humbles us and we feel pretty low again and we say, God, it's all you, it's nothing me. And this is exactly what He's saying here. The Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. So he's saying, do not say to yourself that. 
Don't say to yourself because of your righteousness. So they could have said that the old, the people, except Joshua and Caleb, all the unrighteous had died in the desert. Now the righteous ones has come through. And because of your righteousness, he's going to give you. Now it is on account of the wickedness of the nation that the Lord's going to drive them out before you. So he's destroying them. So it's not rewarding you and giving you, you them over. So he's destroying them because of the wickedness. Their wickedness of these nations. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness. Again he says it. That the Lord your God is giving you this land to possess. For you are a stiff naked people. And he said in the previous in couple of verses before that. That he's going to demolish. He's going to wipe them out from the face of the earth. Because of their wickedness. How long can God put up with this world now that we're living in? Don't you think that we've come pretty close to par with that wickedness? Or have we surpassed it? You know that these people, and we'll touch a little bit later on, and we read it last time, that these people actually knew that the Israelites had a God that performed miracles. So they acknowledged some kind of a God. Do the people that disbelieve in God in society today, do they acknowledge our God, that we have a God that has transformed our lives? No. They're total atheists. They say that we're wasting our time. They say that we are fools. And it is foolishness in the eyes of this world, the Bible says. The Canaanites were a stronghold of rebellion against God. They sacrificed children, like I said, to their gods. And when they sacrificed their children, their bodies, the bodies of these kids, they would put them in the walls that they built, these double walls they built them because they believed that they would give please their gods that they were worshipping. And they built this city and they, the city, I, I showed you photos last time that it had two walls he had around the city. And they thought that it was impossible for anyone to take possession to break through that. But the road through the promised land ran right through Jericho. They had to go through it. Wow. Impossible. Isn't God amazing? Like, Surely he didn't have to have that city there, hey? When he designed and had his master plan, why did he put this city right there? Why did it have to be there? And there's no wall that the devil builds that the sovereign God can't tear down. Point number three is follow the plan. Now, a lot of times we say, well, God, you know, you want me to follow the plan, but it's, it's a bit complicated, the plan. Do you think that their plan was complicated that they had? Remember last time I had the question of how many times they had to go around the city and we all said seven times and then I said, no, it was 13. You find out new things all the time, don't you? So they walked around this wall for, and God instructions in verse 3, he says, march around the town once a day for six days. In verse 4, he says, march with the Ark of the Covenant in the front. 
So what was the covenant of the Lord representing? It was representing God's presence. God's presence was to be in front. We'll touch back, come back to that one a bit later on. Put seven priests in front of the ark, verse 4. On the seventh day, march around us seven times. Have the priests blow the ram horns as they march. And on the seventh time, around the seven days, have the people shout. When the people shout, the walls will come down in verse 5. And the walls come down into the city and conquer it. Now, all that seems quite straightforward. But just imagine walking around this city with two and a half million people, say two million people. The Bible tells us, and I'll tell you exactly, it's got a figure of 601,000 men, fighting men that there were in when they did this march, when they went around the 600,000 Israelite men, plus women and children. So it's estimated about two, two and a half million. That's where I get my numbers from. But in the Bible, it states that 601,000. Anyways, um, imagine marching around this city seven times, then the wars come down. When are you going to get that energy to go and conquer and to destroy these people? <laughs> You'd be pretty stuffed by them, wouldn't you? In Australian terms. <laughs> You'd be pretty stuffed. How could you get around now? I can't be bothered. Can you, you, you don't have the energy, not that you can't be bothered. You've got to destroy these people. And the Joshua, so they had a choice. So this is the plan. This is the plan that was before them. So they have the choice, just like you have a choice and I have a choice. We all have choices to make. This is Joshua's plan that he got from a messenger from God. The plan sounds brilliant, right? March around the wall of the China Wall seven times. Brilliant plan. Let's do it. What a brilliant plan. There was two options, or maybe more. But one option was to go and fight these men just with the soldiers that you had and feel confident that you've got 600,000 soldiers. Let's go and attack it. We have the armour. We're strong. Or we can turn back and say, this is all ridiculous. Or you can do what Joshua is saying. Walk around the city. And Joshua actually adds something. In verse 10, he says, He instructed the people to be silent as they march around the city. Silent. Don't talk to each other. Don't, don't get excited. Don't say, yeah, we're going to have victory. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Just march silently. He instructed them. Why? I don't know why. I drew a little plan. Next slide, please, Kim. So marching plus trumpet plus shouting equals what? There's one thing missing there. God was in front. And we'll see the image a bit later on. But like I said, when we went to the China Wall, imagine walking around this place. Imagine thinking that you've got to march around it and, and, and the walls are going to come down. So stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. Point number four. We've got two to go. Point number four is remember the promise. And this is, this is another thing that 
I have seen this story that I've seen before, but you just didn't come to me. I just didn't see it. So, so what gave people the hope of taking Jericho? They only had to remember the promise of God. We get two hints. First is that God said that he was going to give them the city. And in the next verse we can see that. This is what God said. He says, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kings and its fighting men. Have you noticed that it's a past tense? He says, I have delivered Jericho. They haven't even crossed, they haven't even started marching yet. And God says to Joshua, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. With God, if God has decided this is done, it's just it's a done deal. It's as good as it's taken place already. And point number two is that God puts himself in the middle of the battle by placing the Ark of the Covenant in front of the people. God was saying, I'm going to lead this parade. I'm going to be at the front. I'm going to be right in leading the, at the front edge. And like I said, could you imagine what the, um, the people in, inside the wall of Jericho must have thought? They witnessed God miraculously heap up, stop the water up the Jordan, that he stopped it a little bit downstream. They walked through dry land, the Bible says. They heard in, uh, in Joshua chapter 2, what I mentioned before, is they heard that they crossed the Red Sea on dry land and that they defeated the Amorites, kings. And... So they heard all these things that were taking place. And now here, they come to march around this city. Could you imagine the Canaanites? Would they, do you think they were worried? What are your first thoughts? Like when they heard about how mighty this God was of theirs, you think they would be a bit worried, wouldn't you? Yes. And try to image the picture of they march around the city once. On the first march, they'd be pretty nervous, wouldn't they? Pretty frightened, you'd think. Second time they march around, still pretty nervous. Third time, fourth time, by the fifth time, I reckon by the fifth and sixth time they'd be laughing at him. These wars are not going to come down. Are you kidding me? These guys, where's your God? You know, yelling from the top, saying these wars, have you seen the thickness of these wars? What do you think? They're just going to tumble? But they didn't realise that God was leading the way, that God was in the front. Has anyone heard of Robert Morrison, a missionary, Robert Morrison? So we heard, how many heard of Hudson Taylor? Everyone. So Hudson Taylor came after Robert Morrison. So Robert Morrison was the first um, Protestant missionary to China, history says. And he was in the um, early 1800s. And Hudson Taylor was around 1850 to 1890 when he was there. I didn't. I, I just went by their lifetime where they lived. But one day he was on the ship and he was going to China, and he was asked um, a question by the captain. He says, "What do you think? You're going to convert China? You think you're going to convert China to God? 
with the gospel? You know what his answer was? And sometimes we like, this is handing over the reins. So he was asked, do you think you're going to convert the Chinese? And he said, no, came the quiet reply. I don't think I'll ever convert China. I think God will. And look what's happening in China now. Two, three hundred years later. Could he see that? No. But he believed that if God is in the plan, if God is leading the way, it's going to happen. I don't know where I got... I, I saw a, a little survey that was being done about where is going to be the greatest um, conversion in the world and apparently it's going to be in India and China in the next couple of decades. There's going to be masses of conversions in that place. So they think. We don't know, but hey, but God, remember the promise. Remember the promise. He says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Point number five is never give up. And I think that by saying never forget the promise is that you've got to go back and forth, back and forth. Can we have the next slide? Plus God. Yeah, no, one. No, go back. Sorry, that one. So March trumpet shouting and God, the walls come tumbling down. When God was brought into the picture, that's when the walls came tumbling down. Why march around the city six times? Why march around it once a day? Why? Because God said so. We don't know why. Could God have made the walls come tumbling down the first day? Of course he could have. Could he made it come down the second time? Of course he could have. Could God change the situation in your life? Of course he can. Could he change the situation in my life? Of course he can. I'll tell you something that he did brilliant this week. Some of you might know that Gabriel did um, a little, um, had a little accident this week and he just thought that he'd jump on a horse with nothing on the horse. And, um, and I just happened, and I know that God wanted me to see this. I, I was nowhere near him and I just happened to see those 30 seconds of this encounter. That's all I saw. Gub jumping on this horse bareback with nothing on it. Then he jumps off because the horse takes off. And the little foal, which is now two years old, he kicks him in the head and kicks him in, a, in his arm and kicks him in the ribs. Now, the distance was, everything was just so precise that he's only got a broken bone there or shattered bone there. So he's been in hospital. Um, he's not here, so he won't feel bad that I'm sharing this story. But I just thought, how merciful is God and how great. I'm so appreciative that... He could have ended up with brain damage. You heard about Michael Schumacher. He's been in a coma now for, what, 10 years? A multi-millionaire, best racing car driver. And he's still in a coma now. They're just keeping him alive. And I think that it's, you know, God was kind. God was merciful to us, to me, to our family church. Not only the impact it would have on my life, but on your life as well. Anything like that. So I'm very grateful for that. And I think there's a, a lot of stories that we could all share if we appreciate the good things that God gives us. We dwell a lot on the negative things. And, you know, the Israelites could have, they could have dwelt on the negative things here. Hey, these guys are laughing at us. They're making fun of our God. They're saying, where is your God? God, 
please come through. Destroy them. Do something. Why did God do it this way? God's normal plan is to use people to accomplish the peace purpose. So God, God could save the whole hillside. But God wants to use CLF to bring people, to save people, to bring your family, your children, my children. So that is the way that God works. That is his normal plan is to use people to accomplish his purpose. So even though God uses the walls to fall down. You know the beauty about the walls of Jericho? It's recorded in the Bible. The walls are still there. The, 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 the rubbles of the walls are still there. Um, and, and people still deny that God ever existed. How could those walls have fallen down? Okay, yep, could have been an earthquake. That's probably the way that they put it to you, that they come to conclusion with. So they marched around this city. You know, one thing that is quite interesting, and I don't know, have a think about this one. What do you think that Joshua, as a leader, did Joshua tell the people the task that's ahead for the whole seven days, or did he give them a day at a time? And I reckon that would be split up in this group if I've got you to put your hands up. I have no idea. But I, I think that with a large group of people like that, probably would be a smaller... It, it, either way, it's a risk. But you think that he probably, as a leader, he would have said, OK, guys, today we're going to march around the city and I just want you to march silently. And then the next day, and then as soon as you march, come back to the camp. The next day, I want you to do the same thing. Just march around the city and go back and come back here. And the third day, hang, you know, the Bible tells us that they were murmuring, the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness. There was a bunch of them that were just really good. Their profession was wingers. You know, have you ever met a winger that is just their profession? They're just so good at it. And I won't look at anyone because I'm not thinking of anyone in this group, right? We don't have any, so don't. If I put eye contact with you, don't think I'm looking at you for that. Because we don't have wingers. But some are just wingers by profession. It's a profession. And they had these wingers there. And you could just imagine that as they're going, there's these group of people that were in the in back here. Michael didn't die. They left. They left. Yeah, all died. Yeah. <laughs> and the kids come through. And what do kids do? What do parents do? Unfortunately, do as I say, not do as I do, yeah? Um, so, so then, yeah, so then they're told to march around the city, march around time and time again until it's come to the final time. So, never give up on the plan. And the plan was that on that seventh day that something was going to happen. And in Joshua chapter 6, verse 20 says, When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpets, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed up. Everyone charged straight in and took the city. They charged in and took over the city. There was so much excitement, so much adrenaline. What are those drinks called for that quick... Um, Red Bull, Red Bull. Yeah, Red Bull, and there's a few on. So I don't think they had any of those around. 
But man, they must have been excited. Finally, you see these walls come down. Could you imagine? Could you imagine all that energy that they just generated? Another interesting thing that I... And this is, again... Um, We'll just put, put the sermon to the side. I want to go to the next couple of verses. The next one, please, Kimberly. He says in, in chapter 6, verse 26, he says, At that time Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild the city Jericho. The cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. The cost of his youngest will set up its gates. So basically, there's a curse on this place. Don't ever rebuild it again. Don't. Whatever you do, don't rebuild because it will cost you. It will cost you your firstborn and then it will cost you your younger son. And you know that that took place approximately 500 years later. Go to the next slide, please, Kimberly. In Ahab's time, this is in 1 Kings 16 34. He says, Hell of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of his firstborn son, Abirian. And he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segu, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Isn't that incredible? So he goes to build that. And he, you could almost imagine that this person was a, an atheist and he says, I don't care what people say. God doesn't exist. How could God... Where is God? And the era that that took place is that Ahab, the time of Ahab, was a very dark time. So it's quite interesting. And I just wanted to, to, to point that in that last part of that chapter that it's talking about the curse that is going to be. Don't mess with God. And yet someone did. And never give up. You might be on a journey, you might be on some trial, but don't give up. If God had promised you, if God had reassured you, you keep at it. No matter how long it takes. Sometimes we want it to take a few days, and now it takes dead aim at our faith. Instead of taking a little bit of time, it takes weeks and months. Doubt aims at our faith. Doubt aims at your faith. It comes and tries to destroy your faith. Does that ever happen to you? It happens to me. Sooner or later, if you haven't got any wars of... uh, Impossibilities now. Sooner or later, you're going to be faced with wars of impossibilities. And yeah, if you remember the five points, hand over the rain to God. Stick to the plan. Look at the the impossibilities that is in front of you. Make sure that God is part of your plan, and never ever give up. If God had promised. Follow his promises. God starts small, but he finishes. He doesn't finish small. The final point. The real battle of Jericho was not with the Canaanites. The real battle was in the hearts of the people of God. The real battle 
is not what God's going to do with this, with, with planet Earth. The real battle is what's happening in your heart, inside of you. Have you got the faith that these people had to conquer? Or do you think that it's all ridiculous? Do you think that marching is pointless? Would they risk public humiliation if the wars didn't come down? Of course they did. Could you imagine if the wars didn't come down? And with God, anything is possible. You know, that they could have marched around the city and then on the last march, this commander of the army of the Lord could have been there waiting for Joshua to give him other instructions. If they didn't learn a lesson, maybe they need to learn another lesson. But thank God that he spared them from that. Hebrews 11.30 says, The walls fell by faith. And Hebrews 12.2, and this is a verse that I want you to hold too close to your heart. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? What does the author of your faith mean? It means that he's the beginning. Before you even had faith, he was the author. He started your faith. He put that little drop of faith inside you. And he's the perfecter of your faith. So he's working on your faith. He's perfecting your faith. And when doubt comes in, he tries to destroy your faith. And it keeps regenerating and keeps coming back. And when you challenge and when you're... When, when you have memorized this verse, go back to this verse when you're praying to God and you feel destroyed. Fix your, our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And say, He is my author. He's my perfecter of your faith. And yes, people are on different journeys. People are on, on different level in the journey, I should say. But he's continuously perfecting your faith. Let's pray. Father, you are sovereign. We acknowledge that you are a true God. We believe in your word. We believe that the Bible is inspired by you. We believe that you destroyed the walls of Jericho. We believe that you carried the Israelites through the wilderness. We believe that you parted the Red Sea. We believe that you came to earth, Jesus. We believe that you died on the cross. We believe that you were battered and bruised and scarred and beaten for us. We believe that you rose from the dead, God. But when it comes to our little part of the world, we so many times doubt you, God. We believe that you are massive, that you are huge, that you are sovereign, that you have this master plan. But we struggle in our day-to-day life so many times, Lord. Please help us to focus our eyes, to fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the finisher, author and
of faith or of our faith. We worship you, Father, and we plead with you, Lord, that you may be merciful to us. I plead that every person that is in this room, Lord, that you be merciful to each one of us here, Lord, that none of us may face destruction the way that Jericho faced the Lord because of their wickedness, like your word says, Lord. But help us all to be on your side. Not you on our side, Lord. We want to be on your side. We want to be part of your team, not you part of our team. We worship you, Father, and we thank you. Be with us, Lord. Be with our children and generations to come. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.